Hey, welcome to this week's edition of Coach Prep. This is Coach Prep, volume number 13. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio working on Coach Prep today. Wanted to talk about our presenting sponsor, which is Cleat It Up FP. Cleat It Up is an app for your phone that is going to basically be your one-stop shop for all kinds of team and softball communication. Schedules, uh, communication on last-minute changes, um, ways for you to communicate between players and coaches, coaches and coaches, and, and really everybody within your team and within your organization. Um, Cleat It Up is free to use and is available to you by checking them out at cleatedup.com. Awesome. That's going to be exciting. Yeah, and uh, um, we're very excited to have this partnership going with the guys at Cleat It Up. Um, and, and obviously our uh, coach prep is designed to be an in-depth discussion about coaching things. Um, one of the things about uh, uh, Cleat It Up that I think is really important is that for a coach, I think it's a great way to streamline your life and make some of those uh, communication needs a lot less aggravating and a lot less distracting. Kind of keep, uh, keep you focused on the task at hand, which is being a better coach and uh, doing a better job of helping your team get better. And it's, uh, and it's free. Right, a free yeah, app. It's and, a free app. And it's all set up, just jump in and go, yeah. Okay, so Don, today we're going to talk about defense, and specifically defense against the slap, or what we always call slap D. Boy, that can be frustrating sometimes, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things that's really kind of crazy, and, and you and I have been around this game for a long time, but you remember once upon a time when uh, Arizona and a couple other schools first started really using slapping, it was like kryptonite to some teams. Sure. Um you know, they could not figure it out. They couldn't figure out how to defend it. They could not handle the pressure of the speed of the players. And then over time, you know, that's become less true. And uh, teams have become more adept at handling the, the speed game and, and the slappers. Um, but I think that there's some things that we wanted to talk about today to just kind of set some guidelines. And number one, um, you know, everything that we talk about, everything that we've discussed, um, basically there's give and take. There's, uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses to any strategy you use, and there's positives and negatives to anything you decide to try. To my way of thinking, the idea of the best slap defense is the thing that gives us the most flexibility and the most consistency. And so you know, we ran a, a very simple slap D, um, but I know of other teams and other coaches that really get pretty complicated and do a lot of very challenging and very uh, interesting things. Sure. No, I know that... Uh... You know, you just have to establish guidelines, and if this happens, this is going to be our approach, and um, for you to practice it enough so that it becomes second nature, right? Right. Well, and then there's a couple of things, too, that kind of go along with this discussion. Number one is working on it enough that your players really do have an idea of what's happening. You know, there's always uh, going to be a time when the best thing you can do is put the ball in your glove and eat it, eat it and just yep. let live to fight another day. There's also going to be chances and times when if you make that do or die, all or nothing kind of play, that that's the right choice also. And it doesn't hurt you too bad. Right. And so you know, the, the first thing that we want to always be thinking about is you know, understanding the situation, looking at the players involved. If we're facing a team that we know fairly well, that we've got you know, a little bit of a scouting report on or a little bit of a history with, when that uh, left-handed slapper comes up to the plate, we can already have a, an idea in our mind of what kind of speed she has and what kind of pressure she's really going to put on us. You know, we've talked in the past about some base running things. And one of the things that we always did defensively is we had a code for determining how fast we expected a base runner to be or a hitter sure. to be. Sure. And now uh, every once in a while you have somebody who looks really athletic and looks really fast who isn't. 
And yep. every once in a while, you have somebody who looks like they would be really slow. Sneaky quick. That is pretty fast or yeah. even really fast. Um, you know, because you can have some stockier, heavier kids that can really run, and you can have some wisps and and you know really quick looking kids that aren't so fast. Right. But but so we would always start off communicating about uh, our code. One was fast. One plus was super fast. Right. And so if we had a slapper that we were familiar with that we knew was a one or a one plus, then our defense would already be thinking. Now we spent a lot of time on all our defensive uh, assignments talking about playing with a shot clock in your head. 1001, 1002, 1003, 1004, and just kind of getting comfortable with thinking about the game almost like it's happening with that uh, clock ticking down in your in your head while it's happening. If we had that one plus slapper and she chopped the ball into the ground and it went, you know, 40 feet in the air, that's the one we're talking about earlier that, you know, as the Ball's hanging up in the air, and you're at 1,002, 1,003. It hits you in the glove. You know she's already shaking hands with the first base coach. It might be time to eat that one. Yeah, so grabbing it and hustling it over there and trying to chuck it over there as fast as you can and throw it into the trees just turned that infield single into a much worse situation. Yeah. And now I have to admit to the embarrassing true story of we had two times in a game that we should have put it in our pocket that we didn't that we chucked it down the right field foul line and turned singles into inside the park Little League error home runs. Home runs, right. Um, and the thing that really made it hurt was it happened when we were playing the University of Arizona in Arizona, and we lost the game by, you want to guess what the score was? Uh-oh. Two to nothing. Two to nothing. The yeah. only two runs they scored were the number nine hitter, super oh, fast slapper, oh, man. chopped it into the ground, one time it was the pitcher, one time it was the third baseman. They tried to, you know, throw it before they had it, threw it down the foul line. You know, the field there was so fast that, you know, before you knew it, that girl was scooting around the field and scooting around the bases. We almost got her out at the plate on one of them, but... Uh, <laughs> that would have so, been a nice save. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, the, the, that's, that, that was our slap defense. They throw it down the right field line and let the right fielder throw somebody out. And Tori here, and also too, in that scenario, playing Arizona, that's exciting. So I oh, think yeah. the, the adrenaline... We were so and, amped up. So Yeah, so that probably led to a bad choice there. Yeah, because, I mean, we were, we were good that, that year. That was the yeah. year that we went to the regionals and, uh, and beat Alabama, Alabama and, uh, yeah. and ended up uh, having them come back and beat us and, and, and knock us out. Um, so we had a really good team, but even really good teams can screw up when the pressure of that kind yeah. of situation is on them. So our simple system for playing against the slap. So number one is obviously we're talking about a left-handed hitter. Now we would do the best we could to assume, to anticipate what we thought was likely to happen. If it was a left-handed hitter who was in the third, fourth, fifth spot in the lineup that was built more like a hitter than a slapper, we were going to bite the bullet and just expect them to hit. Play them straight up. So we would play them to hit. We wouldn't use any of our slap defense. But if we didn't know about a left-handed hitter, we would start off with our slap defense. But our slap defense was fairly safe in that it allowed us to be able to defend somebody who did hit. Basically what we would do is we would bring the third baseman way in and off the line because... Um, I think the ball that's slapped is more likely to go in the five, six hole than right down the third baseline. We would bring the shortstop in, even with the baseline. We would bring the second baseman in, even with the baseline. And we would bring the first baseman way in. Now, the first baseman would not be nearly as far in as the 
um, as the third baseman, but in far enough that if it was a drag bunt, they would have a chance to make the play. Sure. So that was our basic setup, how we would start off. Now, the reason I liked that was is it, except for the third baseman, first baseman, we weren't in a terrible position to play a ball that got hit. A ground ball. Right, a regular ground ball. Yep. If we were wrong and it was a left-handed hitter and she hit a two-hopper to the shortstop or a two-hopper at the second baseman, we were still in a position where we could make the play. We liked the idea of pinching the middle infielders in, but nothing drastic, nothing like the second baseman standing next to the pitcher, um, you know, 30 feet from home plate or whatever that, uh, that some teams have done. The secret to making our slap defense work was communication. Our infielders would communicate because it was a left-handed slapper. Our third baseman was the captain of the defense and she would read the hands hands and, and make a call. And when she made a call that told us how we were going to play it. If she called bunt, the first baseman would charge, the third baseman would charge, the second baseman would be ready to cover first. So if it's a drag bunt, you know, sneaky bunt, um, you know, any, any kind of a, a short game, a short stuff. game bunt situation, yep. the third baseman's in charge, she yells bunt. If she yells slap, she sees the hand stay back, the footwork is looking like the slap versus the bunt, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit in detail. But so she reads slap, she yells slap, the third baseman freezes where she's at, shortstop second baseman freeze where they're at, and the first baseman now breaks to go back to cover first base. If she says hit, if the third baseman calls hit, everybody just freezes and holds their spot. Nobody charges, and we just hope that they don't hit it really hard right where we're at. You're right. Okay. Because we've put ourselves in a little bit of a disadvantage if she hits away because we're closer than we would probably normally be. Like to be, typically. Yeah, yeah. typically. The key for our slap defense was the third baseman being aware of what she read, what she saw, and then her being confident enough, loud enough, and clear enough to tell everybody else what the play was, what the expectation was. And the reason we did it that way is... Yeah, I felt it gave us the best opportunity to cover all the options. If it was a situation where somebody hit when we might have expected them to slap, we still had a chance to make a play. We weren't totally committed to the slap, but we were in a position where we knew we could handle it. But we were also in a position to handle anything else that that left-handed hitter might do. Sure. No, I think that kept everything pretty much covered, Tori, and um, other pieces that uh, that we might try and keep in mind is, like you said, uh, like a chart. If it's somebody you play in conference, somebody you play all the time, if it's somebody you've never played before, there's big differences in, in the expectations because uh, often uh, hitters are, are uh, creatures of habit. Right. And the things that they do previously, they're going to try at least anyway on the next uh, round or next at bat. So. Um, that gave us a little bit more of an insight as to how to right. how to defend them, right? For us, collegiately too, we had pitchers that hit spots. They If they were throwing outside, it would go outside. And an outside pitch would go to the opposite field. So those players should therefore also too be a little bit more on guard and right. and have a have a better idea of what's going to be happening. You know, it's, in, it's interesting watching, at least at, at the college level, it's interesting watching how consistent slappers can be in the things they do. Right. And given, you know, given good pitching and, and good slapping, they do the same thing 
often and if they're successful with it they can be really challenging to get right and for you you know we mentioned bringing people in beside the pitcher and things like that i think that's really extreme but to make some kind of defensive shift and change and try and make them do something they don't they don't want to do i think you know is is really kind of key right well and and i think your point of uh making those kinds of movements um is valid if you do know enough to know about, what to expect, about them. right? Yeah, yeah. If if you're playing a team and and you know for sure that this slapper is a hundred percent slapper and she is not going to hit away, yeah. Then the idea is of you know, pressing those middle infielders way in, yeah, to take that away. But now if she's a slapper that only slaps, but her real slap game is that little blooper over the infield, then I sure. think that tells you something about how to adjust too. And so you know, for the the people who are wondering about you know, our system, you know, the system that the, that I've always uh, used. You know, everything is a trade-off. If we bring the third baseman way in and she doesn't slap, we've put ourselves at a disadvantage. If we bring our third baseman in and we move her off the line, what happens if she bunts the ball right down the third base line? We've made it a more difficult play. And again, so that you know, there are there are trade-offs. Now the reason that I've always believed in in and off the line for the third baseman is I want us to play towards what's most likely to happen. And you know, playing the percentages, percentages, yeah. and even though we might not have a slapper charted, I know for sure that slapping a ball right down the third base line is a lot more difficult to do than that slap that's more likely to happen in that five six hole more towards the shortstop. You know, the reason that uh, we we always positioned it that way is I think every once in a while as a coach you've just got to admit that a hitter might do something that you cannot stop. Sure. And so if uh, um, we were playing against a slapper who was so talented that she could control the bat enough and control our pitches enough to roll it right down the third baseline and beat us, I would walk out there and shake her hand and say, that's impressive. You did a good job. You're good at that. Okay? Yeah. Um, So now why the shortstop in the baseline instead of shallower? Because I think it gives us a chance for the vast majority of slappers to feel that two hopper and still make a play. Be deep enough to have a chance to go back on some of those little bloopers that might drop in over our heads. So that's something each coach can uh, maybe assess the capability of their you know, middle infielders right. and decide what kind of depth is going to still give them a, a shot, right? Right. And again, there's always going to be a trade-off. You know, the trade-off to my way of thinking is um, you know, if we take away the ground ball, then we might be susceptible to the pop-up. If we take away the pop-up, we might be susceptible to the ground ball. And so as you look at your players, if your shortstop has specific skills that make one better than the other, you know, then I think you have to kind of use that knowledge to your advantage. But so that was why we liked that idea of right in the baseline. And again, if she does hit away, it puts us in a pretty good position to defend ourselves. You know, we would play in the baseline if we had to play at the plate. So it was not something that was uncommon versus five feet in front of the baseline or 10 feet in front of the baseline, which is the only time, the only time they'd ever be there is when we were a hundred percent sure this was a slapper who was going to pound the ball on the ground. Yeah. And so it put us in a, in a different situation than we were normally used to being in. So I think kind of the fun thing too there, Tori, can be where uh, you're trying to make that slapper do something they don't want to do. Right. So if they're, you know, typically, you know, just slicing a ball over the shortstop short on the left field line, you know, in the left field gap and stuff like that. Um, and that's their, their common thing to do, to try and make them bunt it or to try and make them pull the ball or do right. something away from their natural comfort. 
um, would be something that you might want to try and approach too. Right. Yeah. And for us, we, I, I'm so, I guess, caught up in the fact that we had pitchers that hit spots, that right. threw hard, hit spots, could move it, could do what they wanted to do. Um, a lot of our listeners probably are not, maybe not quite even at that point yet. Some of the younger ones in particular. Right. Um, so it can be more challenging for them because they throw maybe more mistakes. But that was kind of a fun time when, when you wanted to pitch on the low and in, and it was low and in. Right. If it missed, it missed more in. Well, and, and part of the reason that I, that I like the strategy that we've always implemented is that even if you miss a spot, you're still in a pretty good spot to defend it. Yeah. And to, to leave as many doors open as possible. So the second baseman, why the second baseman in the baseline instead of shallower? The further in she gets, the more difficult time she's going to have covering first base if it is a bunt. Absolutely. Now, now, obviously, you could have your second baseman continue to charge in to make a play on a bunt, put her in a really bad position if it's like a fake bunt hit away kind of thing or a slug bunt or anything where the ball's going to be hit hard. You know, we're already frustrated and, and scared for the poor pitcher who's only 40 feet away, 40, you know, 35 feet away probably by the time the ball comes out of her hand, that she's at this terrible disadvantage that she could get killed. To my way of thinking, putting somebody else in that same exact position so they might get killed too, <laughs> it, it might be good strategy, but I don't know that I could sleep at night. Only in, yeah. No, I think that's an extreme situation. Right. I know, I, I can remember uh, times when we would face, face players that um, just, had our number wore us out every single time you know on our on our uh, uh hitting chart they just hit it to the exact same spot just shy of the left fielder just over the shortstop just behind the third baseman and um you know again having the luxury of pitchers that hit their spots um we took a right fielder moved her over as a, a deep shortstop behind third base sh- short on left field just parked her right, right there the, right the, where the super shift yep right there and um, again, the big fear is what happens if she pulls the ball down in, in the right field corner? We're done. It's, yeah, you it's, walk out there and you shake her hand and say, dang, that's good. Yeah. I'm proud of you that you can do that. But the end result for us was gold right. because she and our pitchers hit their spots. Um, if they missed, they missed outside. And when she hit it, she hit it, I mean, almost like, you know, perfect, right? To the position right fielder that's behind the shortstop um, and third base. And it was it was awesome. And then... She tried to pull outside pitches because she wanted to hit it where someone wasn't. Right, and, and then she was in big trouble. And then that was the end of her of her little uh, owning us game. Right. So it worked out in our advantage at that time. Um, and again, it could have it could have flopped, but yeah. Well, you um, know, you you never know until you try until it. And you if, try. if something's working, that's great. It sure wasn't working to let her do what she was doing. Right. Yeah. But so then, uh, so to the second base again. So that's why we position the second base player in the baseline. Gives us the best opportunity to cover all the things that could happen. She can still go back on that little pop-up, but she's still in a good position to play that ball on the ground, um, and she's at a good angle to go to the bag to cover first if it's a bunt play. No, and I like what you're saying too, Tori, in regards to uh, going to be on the ground, it's going to be in the air, and you know we're going to all have our role, and if we practice right. it enough, they're going to be able to read You know, if the first baseman has to field it, then second's got to get there. Right. Otherwise, it's... Yeah, you know, wide and, open. and and first base is the one that people always want to argue with me about because if we call slap, we basically have the first baseman giving up on fielding to go back to the bag. To fe- to get but, the, but now, why ball, do we yeah. do that? Because where she started off at, if she waits until she sees where the ball is going, she's going to be getting to first base the same time the base runner is, and that's a train wreck waiting to happen. It's going to be tough. So we're going to sacrifice the ball that could get slapped to her. 
But again, here's my my logic on it. And again, you know, hopefully we're pitching outside. Hopefully we're making it a little bit more challenging. But even if a pitch is pitched inside, it's hard to slap down the first baseline. To turn on. It's very, very difficult. And, you know, the number of kids that I've seen that are talented enough and have enough bat control that while they're slapping, while they're running, they are able to get the bat that far out in front and and drive drive the ball down the first baseline. That would be another one of those. I'd walk out there, shake her hand, and say, "That's good." She did a good job. Yeah, you, know, you should yeah. be proud of yourself. That's that's amazing that you can do that. So third baseman up and in, or in and over. I'm sorry, towards the five six hole. Shortstop in the baseline. Second baseman in the baseline. First baseman up and ready to go back to the bag. Third baseman is the traffic cop. She's got to be the one that makes the decision. When she says slap, we're all playing slap. If she says hit, we're all playing hit. If she says bunt, we're all playing bunt. If she's wrong, we're all going to be wrong together. Sure. <laughs> so now we have to work with our third baseman on how to help her be correct most often. Now this takes some time. This takes some practice. But she's got to see the difference between when the hands come forward in anticipation of the bunt versus when the hands stay back anticipating the slap. Now the feet are moving. Okay, so if her feet never move, if she just stands there like she's ready to hit, then we call hit. That's the easiest one to call. Okay? And, and everybody else is watching too to right. anticipate. But, yeah. but, we, but we always put the third baseman in charge because she's got the best view of the hitter's hands. Um, and she's also got her life at, at stake, so she's usually highly motivated to, right. to, to try to be right. But so if, if her feet stay stationary, she's getting ready to hit, then you know, we just call hit. And when the third baseman says hit, everybody else yells it too. So we're all on the same page. If she sees the left-handed slapper starting to move forward, move in the box. So she sees her feet moving. So now she's either going to be calling slap or bunt. If the hands move forward in front of her body so that there is no extension, no ability to slap the ball, she's going to yell bunt. Now, if somebody's, again, talented enough that they can start off looking like they're going to bunt, and then slide their hands back and slap. We're just going to shake their hand and say, dang, that's good. I'm really amazed that you can do that. But what we're going to do is allow our third baseman then to read the hands. Now, if the body's moving forward and the hands stay back in a position where she can slap, then she's going to call slap. Now, if she starts off with her hands back and she calls slap and the uh, bunter and the slapper turns it into a bunt, which is doable, but again, difficult, then we're going to still be playing slap. The third baseman's going to now obviously have responsibility for almost every ball that gets bunted. Right. But she's going to know that when she got crossed up that it, now it's her job. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of what we're talking about is experience too, Tori, right? Right. And well, and I think you can get really good at it if you work at it. But the thing that I like the most about it is even if the third baseman's wrong, we're not totally screwed up. We're still in a position to make the play. You got to get an out. Yeah, yeah. That's we're still the, in a position to get goal. to get an out, in, no matter what they do. To me, that's why it sounds complicated. It does take some practice and it does take some time to get really good at it. But it's also, in some ways, kind of idiot proof because even if the third baseman screws up and says slap and somebody bunts or says bunt and somebody slaps, we're still in, a, in the neighborhood where we have a chance to make the play. Dig in and field it. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that's how we always ran our slap D. Now, for the 
person who wants to put the second baseman in the pitcher's pocket or the shortstop in the uh, pitcher's pocket, I'm going to just tell you, as long as you're 100% sure, she's just going to slap. I still yeah. don't like it, but I think if you have no idea what she's going to do and you put that second baseman there, I'm going to tell you it's almost criminal. Well, you know, I think, Tori, what I've, what I've seen too is uh, second base is coming in when you have third or first base playing a little bit deep, right? Because you're just saying that first base is going right. to field the ball at first if it's hit you know, hard or bunted hard down the first base line. Otherwise, they're just going to be anticipating receiving the throw. Right. I feel sometimes uh, second base players are a little bit more skill handled. You'd like for your first baseman to be really good with their hands and her gloves too, but um, I think in some scenarios we're, we're hoping that getting back to first base to receive the throw is just going to be first base's job. Right. And I'm going to have my, my quick fielding second baseman in there to – you know, take the short stuff, the slap stuff that might come to this side um, in the event that it does come to that side and, and kind of hope for the best. But right. I don't like seeing it either. No, it's and, and the other yeah. thing that I, that I hate is there's nobody going to catch that little blooper. No. Because if your first baseman's back, let's say back behind the bag to be the receiver of all throws. Anywhere back, yeah. yeah. If that ball gets hit over second base where the second baseman would normally be, nobody's catching that ball. No. And that one always aggravates That's your me. give and take. Yeah, and again, that's the give and take. So, And obviously, there's always going to be give and take in anything that you do. I'm just going to tell you that I like the way we did it. I had tremendous success with it. When we were lucky enough to have a really strong, uh, uh, intelligent third baseman, we got slappers out all the time. Sure. And, uh, um, you know, and, and except for that horror story, um, when we played... Arizona and, and Tucson and, and turned two uh, slaps into inside the park Little League uh, Bad News Bears home runs, you know, over the course of time, you know, I, I think that our system was really, really good and uh, and worked well. So, so that's what I would recommend if you have something else that you love, something else that you do that you think is better, contact us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com. Uh, we'll have you come on. You can talk through what your strategies are and, and why you believe what you believe. You know, I, I've never been one to say that uh, my way of doing things is the only way. It's certainly what I believe is the right way, but right is in the eye of the beholder. And anything that works is good. Well, you got to practice it to make it good. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, give and them, so that, Give them the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, going to probably be the moral to the story about everything we talk about. <laughs> right. If uh, we uh, talk about slap defense once and we practice it for three minutes and then we t- play a team with really so good we were, slappers. We, we covered this. Yeah. yeah we, we talked about this. <laughs> oh, wait a second. That's right. a whole other topic. So, right. All right. So, uh, Don, anything else about slap D? No. I think, uh, I think just make sure that you go through all the scenarios. Make sure you use all of your, your kids to the best of their abilities in terms of positioning them. And um, I think you got a, a good chance. Perfect. Yeah. Good deal. So um, that's going to wrap up Coach Prep episode number 13. Again, please check out our sponsor, Cleat It Up FP. You can check them out at cleatitup.com. That's an app for your phone that's going to solve all your softball communication needs. For Coach Don McKinley, this is Coach Corey Atchison in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio saying thanks for listening to Coach Prep episode number 13.